Dancers have a lot to balance. From their pirouettes to their jumps, a dancer's performance is a direct result of hard work and motivation. So where does food fit into this? There's a lot of myths and a ton of antiquated ideals about what a dancer's diet should look like. And I'm here to dispel those. I'm Rachel Fine, registered dietitian nutritionist and founder of To The Point Nutrition. I'm the dance nutritionist, and I'm here to tell you that to be a successful dancer, you don't have to diet. Instead, I'll teach you how to use food as your best tool to enhance your performance. A nourishing meal plan not only fuels your dancing, but also enhances your strength, improves your balance, supports your flexibility, and most importantly, reduces your risk to injury. Steven, thank you so much for joining me today. I know you and I have been chatting for quite some time about, you know, hopping on live and chatting with dancers about what I refer to as redefining the healthy dancer. Steven, why don't you just first share with us a little bit more about your background? Uh, I'm not from a artistic family at all. Uh, motorsport was my world. And uh, my older sister did gymnastics and a bit of dancing. So uh, I was introduced that way, inspired by her. And I fell in love with it instantly, age seven. And uh, interestingly, I was talking the other day to somebody that I spent my whole time in Australia training without any concept of my body, of what I was meant to look like or what the goal, whatever that is, uh, was. It was never mentioned. It wasn't until I got into the elite world of training at one of the best schools that suddenly I was made aware of, I guess, what was seen as things lacking with my body or issues with my body. And I just never was made aware of that. Um, but I was lucky to come to London and um, then was offered a contract with the Royal Ballet and you know, lucky to work with the best choreographers and do all the repertoire that you, know, you dream of doing, of course. But I purely have pursued dance because it was something I loved doing. It was a passion. Um, that was purely it. There was no underlying goal from a young age. There was never a comment of, oh, you've got the right body for this, or you've got the right way of doing this for this. It was never the idea of doing it professionally. It wasn't something that was really mentioned until I was about 15. Um, so I had to do a hell of a lot of learning about the profession and also about the body because suddenly to be age 16, 17, on the other side of the world for my family alone, suddenly facing comments about my body, my appearance, um, I was not equipped for that. So it was um, kind of a sink or swim moment and I just kept swimming and swimming and then eventually my body said, stop, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. But I, I quite far into mm. my career before um, my body started to shut down, but it was obviously a a slow burning process. Absolutely. And a couple points that I just want to unpack for a bit that you mentioned here. First off is just this idea that for so many dancers, coming back to that original reason why you started dance, you know, sure, it might not necessarily be for all dancers, but for most, 
there is at some point in our younger years where there was a joy and there was a passion. And then as we move throughout our years, our relationship with dance begins to shift. And so much of that shift is a result of these external messages that we get, whether those are positive, whether they're negative, or whether they're neutral. I spent a very long time in this bubble where it was purely about the passion mm -hmm. of dance mm -hmm. and the joy. And then suddenly I moved to the other side of the world. And when I say suddenly, it happened overnight. I did the Pre-Dalutan final on a mm -hmm. Sunday evening. My family couldn't afford to fly backwards and forwards all over the world. So after that Sunday evening final, I flew to London Monday morning and started at the school. I never went back to Australia. So there was no, I guess, preparation for, okay, you're about to enter this unknown world. Uh, so suddenly it was overnight, you know, you're, you're, you're fending for yourself, really. You, you know, I was living in a hostel with strangers and things like that. So I had to then make all the decisions about myself, my life, my, how I ate, how I approached my day, um, which when you combine that, that's already a big, you know, amount of uh, work to take, take on. But when you combine that with new comments that I'd never heard before about my body, it was a dangerous cocktail. Absolutely. It really creates, you know, this hurricane that often leads to that point in a dancer's training that, like you said, you could either <laughs> uh, swim or sink, right? I exactly. think you mentioned it like that. <laughs> and, and this is really just one of the major challenges that dancers will experience in regards to that overnight leaving your home for the first time, traveling oftentimes literally across the world into a new environment into a new culture, right? New foods, new experiences, not having had a previous, um, like you said, never having heard comments, whether it was about, you know, what foods should dancers eat or a dancer's body, whatever it might be. And then all of, and then really kind of just being on your own in this whole, in this whole new world, right? Also in regards to challenges, let's chat about what happened in 2019. You know, one of the largest fears for so many dancers is injury. And 2019 happens, you injure yourself greatly on stage. Where did you see your trajectory of your, your professional career at that time? Because for so many, you ended up getting back, back to the stage years later, but for many dancers at that yeah. moment, feels like that's it. Yeah, there are many factors, obviously, about that. And we could do a whole <laughs> separate conversation about it. But, um, oh, by the way, I just saw somebody ask about when my documentary is coming out and hopefully it'll be ready by the end of this year. So there we go. Um, building up to my Achilles snapping on the Opera House stage, that was not, I guess, just a freak accident. That was a long period of pushing the boundaries of what I was capable to do with my body, what I could withstand mentally. Um, I was terribly uneducated about treating my body like an athlete. I had no concept 
you know, as a young dancer, if you mentioned the word athlete in the world of dance, I was the first to say, absolutely not. We are not athletes. Very much have I learned that we definitely are. We have to behave like athletes. We are artists, of course, but we have to fuel ourselves. We have to take care of ourselves just like athletes. And I very much was not doing that. So I was um, not fueling myself correctly, not allowing recovery to exist which in our culture our profession that's still a huge area that has to be addressed I feel like many of the profession are just covering their ears they know it needs to be addressed but you know we're not there yet uh, so building up to that I was very much burning the candle at both ends I was very lucky to become a father for the third time um, but of course when you don't fuel yourself you don't have any recovery and when sleep is taken away from you, sleep was the one aspect that I guess my body clung on to. As a father, you don't get sleep. You know, you're disrupted constantly. My body finally gave up. Um, I'd had Achilles mm. issues in the season leading up to it snapping. I'd had procedures and things. The research says, though, that only about 5% of people who have Achilles issues actually snap it. Um, I was one of those unfortunate 5%. Uh, and yeah, it would have been nice if it happened in the studio privately away from everybody. Mine happened to happen in front of two and a half thousand people. But I honestly, I wouldn't change it now because I have completely flipped my whole view on the profession, um, what it is we need to do moving forward. I've been lucky to work with some extraordinary sports scientists, uh, Gregor, who I work with at the Royal Opera House, I've, he's been by my side the whole time. Um, and these people have to be not only your coach, they're your psychologist, they're your essentially nutritionist as well. Um, they're constantly trying to guide you, uh, but you're an adult, so you of course make your own decisions. But this process of getting from snapping the Achilles to back on stage, um, in a way, it's revolutionized how I see the profession. It's made me view the beauty of the profession even more. And I, I see it shine even greater than what I probably did before. But the elements that need to be addressed for me um, will be part of my mission moving forward to, in order, to enable those things to change. Absolutely. And this is so common when we see this conversation about artistic athletes. And I agree with you in regards to dancers needing to understand that at the level at which they're partaking in physical activity, right? When we kind of just like strip away, strip away the artistry for a second <laughs> and focus on the physicality of dance and understand where a dancer's nutritional needs are higher than yeah. those of the general population. And and on top of it, what makes this so challenging is that, as you mentioned early on in our chat, there are those undeniable ideals, ideals, right? And food, food beliefs, body beliefs that cause dancers to experience overwhelming amounts of anxiety around food at mealtimes, often leading them to eat less than what they think they need, than what they should be fueling their bodies with. And this is where we see this just spiral 
uh, of disordered eating, even diagnosed eating disorders amongst dancers. And it's so incredibly important for dancers to learn within their training, right? Before they get to the stage and that point, that breaking point, right? The role that nutrition plays, I always say that your best recovery plan also starts with your pre-performance nutrition plan. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that really sets, sets the stage to ensure that if an injury happens, which we and need to make space for that honestly, idea as well. the reality is you will get injured because the culture dictates certain way of working mm -hmm. that our bodies are just not meant to do. So the reality is you will have an injury at some point, but it doesn't have to be a negative experience. You can obviously mm -hmm. learn from that, but you can do things to help avoid it. And you can provide your body with enough tools going into the injury so that if and when it happens, exactly. your body can recover from that injury, right? And it, and it doesn't have to be, which maybe in 2019, at that moment, what it might've felt like was, this is it. But then, you know, obviously that road towards getting back to the stage was quite, can't even honestly imagine the, uh, how challenging that was just from a physical yeah. standpoint, but also from a mental standpoint. But for dancers and in the work that you are doing now, your perspective shifts that you're experiencing since that injury for dancers to understand that the role that nutrition and caring for their bodies and getting adequate sleep, it's all not just for the moment today, but for your future as well, right? We all obviously throw ourselves into this profession. We devote so much of our entire being to do what it is that we do and love. But there is also life after performing. And your body is your, your your vehicle for the rest of that life. You don't want to be ended up with this broken vehicle that you can't then explore whatever the world still has to offer you. Um, it's just thinking beyond, as you say, the moment right here, right now. And that whole fueling thing, my, my wife and I discuss this regularly. When did food become the enemy? Why? Why mm. did food ever become the enemy for our world? Um, it's, I don't, you know, it's something that just still sticks in my, in my, my head. And it's a question I ask all the time. If you think like I used to laugh when they would say, you know, the calories that Michael Phelps used to consume on a daily basis, I used to think that's ridiculous. Like why, why, why? <laughs> because of the training he's doing, he has to do that to fuel himself. And at the time, I mean, doing 12 hours a day six days a week i mean i was probably not even getting the recommended daily allowance that a man should have let alone what an athlete does for 12 hours a day so honestly it's no wonder i completely broke down in 101 pieces yeah you bring up such a good point in regards to that question where did this start when did this start and so much of the work that i do as a dietitian i think um can surprise some people because we dietitians are suspected to be, to almost be quote unquote, I don't like using this word, but like authorities in food, right? Or what people eat. When in fact, much of the work that I actually do for dancers is truly dismantling so much of the fears around food and around nutrients and around that word, calories in general. 
And it is actually crazy if you really look back, I talk a lot about this in my blog, if you really look back at what diet culture has done, but not just diet culture, because there's, there's these incredible shifts that happen when we look at dieting behaviors over time. And what we've seen in the last 10 years is this shift from dieting to wellness and the idea that what the idea of caring for our bodies, but when does this idea of wellness actually also become restrictive in of itself? And this is what I experienced myself as a dancer. This is what so many of the dancers I work with experience in regards to food fears stemming from an intent to want to fuel their bodies healthfully but then also feeling quite scared and um, like they can't enjoy food, right? Unless it's for the purpose of physical performance. So it's really mm. about just finding this delicate balance, understanding, understanding that food surely should support our physical health and our physicality as dancers, but food can also have a place in our mental and emotional well-being. You know, you at such a young age moved to an entirely different country across the world. You had to learn and pick up ideas from a completely new culture and food plays such a huge role mm. in all of our cultures around the world. So it's so important to, for dancers to remember that as well, that, that food has so many different aspects in our lives. If we're fearful of it, it's only gonna limit our performance, right? It's only gonna not just lead us to that physical injury, but also potentially I mean, lead I us to burnout. I definitely fell into that category of purely eating what I thought I needed to eat in order to do my job. There was never a moment of, well, actually, I'm going to eat that meal today because that's simply going to make me feel good. And I'm just being sociable and I'm having a normal, whatever that is, life. That never really factored into my life. It was purely, I will eat that because I know I've got to do that tomorrow. Or if I eat that, that'll make me feel good about myself. There was never a moment of just, let's just have that meal because it might be good for my mental well-being. Or, you know, that was never you know, really a thought in, in the way I planned things. Um, it wasn't really until I started to open up more about all of this with some psychologists and things and was able to get back to maybe some of those trigger moments that caused me to move on to this. Because, you know, as a kid, I ate everything. When I say everything, I was a very fussy eater, but what I did, I ate. Mm. Um, there were never any issues there. Um, and surprisingly, you know, I would get back to Australia occasionally throughout my early years as a professional. And I do remember one time my mom, I got off the plane and she gave me this hug and just was in shock. Like, where are you? Where have you gone? Like, what's happened to you? Come on, you mm. need to eat. And I just shrugged it off, of course. Oh, it's my workload. I'm just working loads. But when I look back, I was clearly in control of what was going on. I knew what I was doing. Um, I just mm. did what most dancers who have slipped into that, that category say. And they just say, oh, it's the workload. You know, I'm just, I'm dancing all day. But that doesn't just happen. You know, that's, that's a choice to go down that path. One thing that you said earlier, in regards to that you wouldn't change anything that has no. happened though, right? At the end of the day. And I feel the same way about this in regards to us having all of these experiences and having them be these incredible opportunities for these perspective shifts as we get older and 
in fueling, of course, the work that we do. And it's so important for us to consider this idea of compassion for ourselves. I often tell dancers, you know, if you are struggling with food, it's not, we want to work to help you navigate food better, but also we don't want to ridicule ourselves for having these struggles, right? There's so many Right. There's so many reasons for why dancers can fall into these behaviors. And as long as we are, you know, looking at this from the inside out and saying, okay, well, how can I um, better navigate food and my body without feeling judgmental, criticized, without criticizing myself about the behaviors that I'm partaking in and just having a lot of self-compassion is really incredibly important for dancers who are just navigating all of this work and not feeling too down on themselves if they are, you know, having a challenging experience. So it's not just a case of dancers saying, oh, that's right, I'm going to go on this self-destruction path. There are factors. They're seeing what, you know, they're seeing the other people being cast. They're seeing what the choreographers choose. They see what other companies are doing. There are all these factors. Obviously, social media, I love social media because you can really open up and you can share important messages but of course it has a destructive side and you see these unrealistic unattainable lifestyles so there are all these factors of course that contribute it's not just oh dancers are these you know crazy monsters who like to make their lives hard it's uh, it's a much bigger picture so we just have to continue to be as uh, open and honest about these journeys as we possibly can as i said i wouldn't change those early years. Of course, I wish I was healthier, but by that unfortunate health journey happening, um, it's enabled me to properly re-educate myself so that I can possibly have a positive impact in the future. Absolutely. I mean, I always say there's this really interesting or maybe conflicting feeling that I have because with my own history with dance and falling into disordered eating, but then also that just paving the way for me to create my career as a dietitian and working with dancers and everything I do here to the point nutrition. So it's, I wouldn't change anything either. Sure, could things have happened maybe with less of a struggle and less pain? Yes. Uh, but at the end of the day, it all, all of these experiences kind of built up and led to where I am now, of course, where you are now as well. And that, that's important for dancers to hear. Uh, in regards to your recovery process, so how did you maintain motivation? You mentioned that you worked alongside some really incredible, you had incredible support throughout the process. Would you say that was a big factor? My director, years? Kevin O'Hare at the Royal Ballet, uh, has been like directly involved by my side from the moment it all happened. Um, and he, he has helped really develop the medical team to expand it at the Royal Opera House. Um, and I hope that uh, in the coming years, it will become more of the norm for the dance world to have those support systems in place. Uh, you know, even in the future, I would love to be part of setting up an establishment that helps dancers from any company to get that kind of support that they need when if it's an injury or if you notice you're burning the candle you need the nutritional support whatever support it is uh, because genuinely without that there's no chance i would have got back onto the stage i have to say the motivation constantly behind it was my three children um, the reality is if daddy was not on mm. stage you know we would be out on the street. So it was as simple as that. You know, my, my love of this profession has brought me over to the other side of the world. And 
you know, I've been on this journey that, of course, I could never have imagined this kind of journey happening. Um, and I think when you've had to fight for something, you are less willing to give up as quickly. And uh, so I'm unfortunately quite a stubborn person. So I dug my heels in and um, I guess I've just always adopted the approach, the mentality that there's always a way. And I say this to students all the time. There's no one single path to get to your destination. You know, obviously we have students who come over to London to the Royal Ballet School and they want, they want to join the Royal Ballet. That's great. It might not be the right company for you. It might not be the right company right now, but maybe in five years time, it might be. My wife did that. My wife went off for three years and then came back to London. It's just encouraging people that, mm. okay, yes, there's a hurdle there. You can run straight through it and knock it over, maybe find a way to get over it, go under it. There's, there are alternatives to that. And just, I just think this culture that we're, we're all living in now, we get so fixed on, okay, I have to do this. And then if I achieve that, then that opens the door for that. And then if I achieve that, it opens that. And uh, we know that that's not the case. There are so many different ways to go about it. You've shared such incredible insight today. My final question for you, Stephen, is it's an overarching one. You've actually answered it in quite different ways throughout our conversation, but I'm going to just go for it and see what happens. How would you define what it means to be the healthy dancer? If you can remember, I mentioned at the beginning of our chat, the purpose of me for doing these conversations is to help our youngest dancers redefine what it means to be the healthy dancer. So I'm curious in all of your experiences and opportunities and all of the perspective shifts that you've had in these years, how would you redefine what it means to be the healthy dancer? The dancer that's empowered to take more control of their situation. Of course, we have directors, choreographers, coaches, telling us what to do, enforcing what they want to happen. But ultimately you are the one who has to take control of your own situation. So whether that's learning to say no at times, learning to say, this is actually too much. I need to take a pause. Learning obviously to fuel yourself, get the mental support. Um, I think that to me is the sign of a healthy dancer. The person that is able to stand up and say, I'm in control of this situation. Um, then you can identify, mm, I'm feeling too much at this moment. I'm sinking a bit. Uh, but when you are not in control, you become blind to those situations and all of a sudden you've sunk to the bottom. <laughs> and being in control of knowing that support is often needed, right? And support is, as you mentioned with your recovery process, one of the biggest, if not the biggest factor that's going to help dancers throughout their training, throughout their recovery, yeah. and just throughout their career. So, yeah. Thank you so much. This was, this was incredible. You've really given us such invaluable insight. We've got more many more you. conversations to be had. Take Absolutely, care. Absolutely, Stephen. Thank you. You as well. Bye-bye. <laughs>